Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a book riot podcast hosted by Erica Ezafetti and me, Tears of Christ. We are recording this on November 4th. Hello, Erica. Hey, hey, hey. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I cannot believe I say this every month. I cannot believe it's already November. We're in the second to last month. WTF. Right. October, October flew by. October. October. October flew by. It really did. I wish it lasted longer. October should be two months. That's what I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't disagree with you on that. Yeah. Um, I definitely am feeling like I look at everything I've read this year and mm. I'm looking at like all of the best of the year lists that are coming out. And I'm knowing that you and I like to kind of do an end of the year, like what our favorite yeah. books of 2022 are. And like, oh, oh, crap, I got to read more books because we're getting towards the end. Exactly. Because it's also like, it's of the books you've read this year. Yeah. And like, what if some of them were like, just okay, but you wouldn't, you don't necessarily want to put them on the best of the year, but they were better than other ones you've read, if that makes sense. So it's like, yeah. I feel you. Yeah. I feel a lot of pressure to come up the with pressure. these decisions. The pressure. The pressure. So much pressure. Yes. I totally feel you. Did you do anything fun for Halloween? I mean, well, I guess by the time this comes out, we're we're going to be well past Halloween, but Halloween is on my mind. I feel like Halloween is always fun. I carved pumpkins the weekend of Halloween, which was always That's fun. Um, yes. And my my partner wanted to do like a creature feature. So we watched <laughs> a lot of like really bad like 80s and 90s horror. Excellent. Featuring creatures. And then on Halloween night, I had a total of two trick-or-treaters. And so we mostly just stayed in and watched movies and Ate good food and it was cozy and fun. How about you? Nice. I didn't do much on Halloween day or night, rather. I was kind of like not feeling super well. My tummy was hurting. But leading up to it, I did watch a couple like movies. I was trying to coordinate with some friends, but everyone was like, meh. <laughs> it's like we were like in the group chat. We were like, oh, what are we doing? And like people were like, yeah, we should do something. And then everyone was like, ah, no. I don't know why it was a collective like, ah. Like, uh, but I did manage to watch a couple movies. I watched Hocus Pocus 2. Love it. Which I thought was great. Have you seen that one? Not yet. But you know what? Halloween is not over in my heart. I will watch it yet. It's not over. It's everlasting. I thought it was cute. I thought the little girl they got to play the main sister. Sister? The main (laughs) one. She was excellent. She did the tooth thing excellently. I saw people criticizing it because they were like, oh, it's nostalgia. It's blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, duh. That's the point. <laughs> that's why we want it. That's why we want it. It's a sequel that came out like 30 years after the first movie, bro. Like, yeah. I thought it was cute. It was fun to me. So Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So I enjoyed it. But yeah, Yay. my super dated Halloween conversation because by the time this airs. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Halloween's fun though. So yes. And because we are actually going to be talking about a book that feels very seasonally appropriate for Halloween. Mm. We're just going to kind of keep that feeling of the season going. Yes. Yes. Keep the vibes. Yeah. I'm really excited for this um, because we earlier this year wanted to do a buddy read and we did 
Queen of the Tiles by Hannah Alcoff, which mm-hmm. I think we overall, we liked, but we definitely had some big questions about the mystery yeah. and about some elements. And it was, it was so much fun though, like reading the same book that we yeah. thought like, okay, we'll do it again this fall. And we picked The Weight of Blood by Tiffany D. Jackson and we both read it and we are so excited to talk about it. That's so good. Yeah. But first, let us hear from our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publisher of the smash hit Fourth Wing. You'll only cross these blades once in a page-turning new tale of revenge strategy and so many lies. Best-selling Red Tower Books is releasing its next year's will read that will capture your imagination and keep you guessing until the end. May Corlin's Five Broken Blades tells an intricate high-stakes tale of five total strangers united in a plot that will test their strength, wits, and courage. Each has their reasons, all have secrets. But while it's easy to portray a stranger, it's not so simple to stab a friend or a lover, okay, in the back. Now these five blades must choose between vengeance and one another. Pick up five broken blades by Mae Corlin for a thrilling, adventurous tale filled with risk, romance, adventure, and oh, so many lies. The relationships in it are complex and nuanced and involve everything from friends to enemies found in biological family and lovers and more. Thanks again to Entangled Publishing's Red Tower Books, publishers of the smash hit Fourth Wing for sponsoring this episode. This episode is sponsored by The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy. Robbie and Trevor Cressmont have enough wealth to ensure they'll never be found guilty of any wrongdoing, even if everyone believes they're behind the deaths of their ex-girlfriends. Let us all take a collective angry sigh at that. Lauren O'Brien, the new girl at school, has a dark past of her own, and she's desperate for a fresh start. Except when she starts a relationship with Robbie, her chance is put in jeopardy. During what's meant to be their last weekend together, Lauren stumbles across evidence that might just implicate Robbie. And after a third death rocks the town, she must decide whether to end things with Robbie or risk becoming another cautionary tale. This is an edge-of-your-seat YA thriller that's perfect for fans of Karen McManus and Holly Jackson. Make sure you pick that up now wherever books are sold. And thank you once again to The One That Got Away With Murder by Trish Lundy for sponsoring today's show. Okay, The Weight of Blood by Tiffany D. Jackson. As you could probably guess from our reaction before the ad, we are excited to talk about this. But before we dive in, we do want to give a heads up that this will be a spoilery chat. So if you want to avoid spoilers, probably go read the book and then come back and listen to this episode. But if you've already read it, let's all talk. Yeah, but I will say too, and I think we were when we were deciding if we wanted to have spoilers in this episode, it's interesting because I feel, well... Apart from, so you kind of, you know what's going to happen. Like the main thing that's going to happen is centered around, it's talked about from the beginning. If you know what what novel slash movie this is based off of, which is Carrie, that's also apparent. So you know like what the major event is going to be and everything is leading up to it. And even like the first chapter or two, it's talked about. So... It's like the main thing is talked about. So that's not going to be a spoiler. It's more so like your mystery. Yeah, the journey. So it's like, I feel like, yeah. So just with that in mind. Yeah. Well, so, okay. If anybody's listening and they don't care about spoilers, I'll give you like a little brief what this book is about. Mm -hmm. 
So this book is told in multiple perspectives, and it's kind of framed from the perspective of having this podcast episode, and you see the script and the narration of the podcast, where you have two hosts, and they're multiple guests, and they're talking about this thing that happened, which is the climax of the book. So it's about this small town um, in... Georgia, I believe, called Springville. And it is a town where, you know, the past is not so far away when it comes to racism and lots of microaggressions and not so microaggressions and concerns of race. So Madison Washington's kind of at the center of the book. And at the very beginning of the book, she's out in PE class and she gets caught in a rainstorm. And her her big secret is revealed when her hair reacts to the humidity, which is that she is biracial. Everybody kind of just thought she was white um, or assumed that she was white because she has a white father. And that's kind of how she's always presented herself. But now it is obvious that she is biracial. And everybody makes it out to being, you know, oh, Maddie is black. It's like this big to do. And she's bullied because of it. When the bullying goes viral, the students realize like, oh, our racist actions have consequences. Shocker. Who would have thought? (laughs) Right? (laughs) That never happened before. (laughs) Oh, wow. And they're kind of forced to like confront like a lot of racist traditions. And one of that is um, their high school back in the 1960s when the school first integrated, rather than having like an integrated prom, the school officially just canceled prom. So the school has not had a school sponsored prom in like over 50 years. And instead, there are these like unauthorized proms and there's always like the white prom and the black prom, which Mm. is like not a good look, especially Mm -hmm. if you're being splashed across CNN for bullying a girl who is black. And the students decide to salvage their image by hosting the first integrated prom. And like, this should be also noted that this book takes place in like 2014. So this is not like the 80s or something. That's the gag. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. And it's like, it was five minutes ago. (laughs) Right. And so they decide to do this. They decide that they need to set Maddie up with the school's star football player who is black, but also has a lot of white friends and runs with a white crowd. There's a lot of interesting tension there as he's, you know, balancing basically living in two worlds. The students decide to throw them together as prom king and queen. And that's when things get wild. And mm. I can't swear on this show. Otherwise I'd be saying, uh, you know, another version of basically the, you know, what hits the fan. Yeah. And um, so, you know, at the very beginning that this evening ends in blood mm. and you just, you know, don't quite know exactly how it all goes down. Yeah. But you get the story sort of like back and forth from beginning to end. And it struck me because it definitely has like that, that Carrie sort of vibe Mm -hmm. and it does feel like, you know, a horror novel, but it's not like, it's a different sort of horror novel than White Smoke, which was Tiffany G. Jackson's first horror novel. One of my favorites that I read last year, that one had a lot more sustained tension and scariness. And this one was more like real life horror building up to a really horrific event. Yeah. It didn't feel, I will say... I still haven't read White Smoke. And after this book, let me tell you, that is White Smoke is running up the TBR priority list. Yes. Like, I I didn't feel like reading this. I didn't feel horror. 
like if it was more like a mystery for me, mm-hmm. that makes sense. But the climax of like the actual event, the descriptions of the bloodshed and everything, those were horrific. Also, yeah. I think because Maddie, it's like, well, for me, at least with horror, I feel like something that's horrible, like the monster or the bad, whatever the big bad is, it's like a lot of times they're not likable or something. And maybe this mm-hmm. is a me thing, but I'm like, I felt so badly for Maddie. Oh, yeah. Um, throughout. And I was just like, it was like painful. Like, you know, like when you read something and you almost don't want to continue because it's like too cringy or it's too like, oh, my God, I feel so bad for them type of thing. Mm-hmm. It was like some of that stuff was hard to read. It was like she's so she was so tormented at home and at school and yeah. just her whole little world. It was so sad. So like when, you know, things started happening i was like huh well maybe you shouldn't have threw the pencils in her hair i don't know like right. obviously she took it to it, it was you know she took it past a certain point right but i guess right. for me as far as horror goes i like wasn't scared of her if that makes no. sense you know what i mean i feel like you know we could have an ethical discussion about like yeah. at what point does bullying justify yeah. the person fighting back. Yeah. But like, yeah, you definitely see her as a victim in this yeah. story and, and not like a helpless victim, but she is victimized multiple times throughout the story. And, you know, she is not the only one who mm-hmm. is facing this, but it's like her experiences are definitely heightened. Yeah. So it is obviously based on Carrie by Stephen King. Um, have you seen Carrie or read it? I have to admit that I have neither read Carrie nor seen any of the adaptations. Same. I know what it's about, though. Yeah. Roughly, like loosely. It permeates like the like there are our cultural consciousness yeah. so well yeah. so that like even if you have never read or seen it like i think almost anybody if they were to, if you were to ask like you know that it's about a girl who's bullied who goes to prom and thinks her dreams are coming true and then there's like a moment of pig's blood getting dumped yeah. on her and then like she kills everybody yeah like, I, I think that's an accurate read <laughs> i mean honestly that's it that's what i know about it <laughs> There might be some, yeah, some other little things here and there, but um, yeah, so this is an interesting take on Carrie, but it at the same time, though, it doesn't, because after I finished The Weight of Blood, I went and I read, like, the Wikipedia plot description of Carrie, yeah. just because I was curious and I didn't have time to read Carrie or watch a movie before we recorded, and so it's interesting to see, like, oh, those are the parallels. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got the protagonist who's bullied, who has this, you know, telekinetic powers, who exacts revenge like you know that like at home she's being like religiously abused basically like and and persecuted in that way i'm same with you know maddie and the weight Mm -hmm. of blood but like at the same time the weight of blood definitely felt like it wasn't necessarily a straight up retelling of carrie it was more of like the action of Carrie, but through a very different lens. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And as I said before, I have not watched or read Carrie. I know the general synopsis that you just gave. And yeah, I think that Tiffany Jackson did such a good job of looking at all the nuances that all the the characters were like struggling with or whatever. I think that 
sometimes with multiple perspectives in books, I get kind of annoyed because <laughs> like I will be like, oh, well, when like I'll like one perspective more than another. And then when I'm reading that one that I like less, I'm like, ugh, when do we get to the character I want to read about? Yeah. But with this, that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. I think she handled that so well. And um, a side note for audiobook listeners, because I listen to, I read a lot of books these days, like half audio, half like print. The audiobook had different voice actors oh, for nice. different things. It was so cool. Yeah. And then when it did the podcast segment, it have a little like little audio intro, like do 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 whatever, little little <laughs> jingle to like introduce the podcast, like as if it were a real podcast. And then like they had Tanya was like, I think that was her name. Australian or whatever they had an Australian act she had an Australian accent so there were a whole bunch of different actors involved in the audiobook if you're interested in audiobooks but I felt like that gave a more like cinematic feel to it and it really like I don't know helped me like get into the story too but apart from that I feel like the religious thing is interesting when thinking of Carrie versus um, the weight of blood because when the prayer closet was revealed, it's like, okay, you hear a prayer closet. And also knowing about Carrie, I knew that like Carrie's family or whatever was like her mom or something. Like I know she, I remember she was shamed and there were some like religious abuses you said. So when I heard the prayer closet, I was like, all right, so it's following, it's staying true to Carrie in that way. And then they described the prayer closet and it was like full of pictures of white women. <laughs> I was just like, yo, the twist. I was like, okay, this is, so it's not even that you're praying to God. You're praying to be like them, which is yeah. interesting. It's like an idol, like an idol closet. Yeah. So that was interesting. And it was uh, I don't know how deeper analytical we should go, but I'm just like, I mean, it, it has echoes of, I don't know if you've read, this is not a YA book, but The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Oh, yeah. I have read The Bluest Eye. Yeah. I haven't read that for a while, but I read, I mean, if you read it, it's going to stick with you, I feel. Mm-hmm. So I haven't read it for a while, but I remember a lot of it. And it's interesting to think of that prayer closet because it's like, with society and the constant, you know, images being pushed. And I think very recently images have changed, but that has been through a lot of, you know, criticism of like, you know, the beauty industry and and the film industry and stuff like that. And for a while, those industries have, you know, dominated and they've had one like particular vision of beauty or standards to push and they've been pushing it. And so it's like, you know, throughout the years since the United States has existed, all the, you know, beauty ads and magazines and the movie stars they choose, it is kind of like a throne to whiteness and like that. And it, it's a particular brand of whiteness because it's not even mm-hmm. like, it's not like all white people look like that. It's like if you take non white people out of it, when you look at those beauty standards, a lot of white people still don't fit those beauty standards. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting, like that. I th- I'm I'm overanalyzing. I realize, but it's interesting, like how like when that prayer closet, what was inside, was revealed. I was like, first of all, it was super creepy. Obviously, um, it's weird. It's creepy. It's gross. And 
I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> well, it's like an idealized version of the U.S. that yes. has never existed in the first place because that is like another element of Maddie's emotional abuse yeah. is that her father is obsessed with this idea of like a 1950s United States that's yeah. you know idyllic and has like the nuclear family the white nuclear family yes. where the father provides for the family the mom stays in the kitchen and she cooks dinner every night and the kids are cute but they're never naughty and everything is just very polished because her father is obsessed with like those good old days yes. and watching like leave it to beaver and the dick van dyke show and that is like how maddie is taught to see the world yeah. and then there's a very pivotal scene in which like you know she's reciting facts and like facts and you know quote unquote facts about, <laughs> about the civil rights movement and her teacher's like well how do you think it happened and she was basically like everybody marched peacefully then JFK died and to honor his memory Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act and her teacher's like oh uh, honey <laughs> like that is not how it went down and and it shatters her worldview because she mm-hmm. realizes like she's striving for an ideal that never was yeah I like the teacher I remember the teachers like the teacher. <laughs> Mrs. Morgan or whatever. Yes. She was like, oh, honey, I have failed you or someone else has. I think that was, that was like was her exact phrase. Yes. I was like, yeah, Miss Morgan was, yeah. So yeah, that's such a good point. And I think that her fought, Maddie's father actually has a, like a thrift shop or consignment shop that's actually called the good old days or something like that. Yes. He's super obsessed with that. That's such a good point. And it's interesting that he's obsessed with that very outdated, antiquated, view of the perfect nuclear American family, whatever, with the white picket fence. It's funny that that's his thing, but then he had Maddie. So it's like, why, if you're obsessed with that, why would you have a child with a black woman? Right. And that's, that's like the big question is, is what happened there? (laughs) What? (laughs) So what's going on there, friend? Like, what is going on? Yeah. I think that one of the things that Tiffany Jackson does so well in this book is she does get into like the complicated nuances of everybody's like misbeliefs and thought processes. And you get a lot of different characters and a lot of their perspectives. I mean, you get Maddie, of course, you get Kenny, who is the, you know, town's football star. He's Mm -hmm. black, but he... Um, has everybody's admiration. So it's almost like a lot of the white people are like willing to overlook the fact that he is black because, Mm -hmm. hey, he's going to go pro one day. You get like the different white girls in the school who, you know, definitely are racist. And one is, you know, slowly starting to maybe have her eyes open to the reality. But she's not, you know, perfect. You get Kenny's sibling and she is a lot more, like socially active and, and just, you know, wanting to protest. And it's such an interesting, and then you just like get random people throughout the town. And that I thought was really interesting too. Can I say too, like you're reminding me one thing that I felt like, and I'm like, I'm imagining that Tiffany Jackson did this on purpose, but at first I felt like at first as the dynamics of everything were being explained, 
like okay obviously maddie was being bullied that was obvious in the like early on but so like when they were first describing the dynamics of the school and the town it sounded like okay yeah this is racist they have two different problems segregation obviously but the it's like they would show kenny's view and i think they would show wendy which was his white girlfriend and she's one of the women the girls rather that you were referencing and being like okay they're obviously racist one is having like opening her eyes they were showing their perspectives and it didn't from their perspectives it didn't seem like the town was that racist or that bad it seemed like okay well yeah segregation is not the best but this is just how things are do or are done are done have been done and all, yeah, and also like in our day to day stuff, people aren't being racially discriminated against. It's just this one thing, this one uh, last, you know, semblance of segregation in the form of the school prom that exists. Other than that, everyone's getting along fine and everything is cool. And I feel like it's slowly, but that's their perspective because mm-hmm. racism doesn't bother them because it doesn't affect them. So they don't register things. I, apart from the bullying, the bullying was obviously messed wow. up. So it's not like you could even, but as a reader, Tiffany Jackson taking us on this journey through these characters' perspectives, I felt like it didn't seem, I'm like, I already knew it was racist. I'm like, it's Georgia and it's a small town in Georgia mm-hmm. and they have segregated proms. So I already know what the T is, but I'm just saying like, as someone coming into the story, not knowing what exactly has transpired in the town, I feel like it's slowly revealed. And even Callie, Kenny's sister, she's at first presented, and this is from Kenny's perspective too. She's at first, she's presented as like that angry black girl who's like, always protesting like oh the white people da 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 and that's kind of like a stereotype or a trope or whatever and it's like you know she has natural hair and she's like you know college bound or whatever and she's you know reciting Malcolm X or whatever and referencing those types of things and organizing marches and it's like oh she's just angry she's just always stirring up stuff her father would say that Kenny would kind of say that and that was kind of the thing at first that you would see because other Maddie doesn't know what's going on. She doesn't even know what's going on with herself. How does she know what's going yeah. on with anything else in the world? In her general vicinity. She's just trying to make sure her hair doesn't get wet. So it doesn't revert back to its natural state. La la la. And she's trying not to incur her father's wrath. So he doesn't beat her with, you know, at home. So she doesn't even know at first. So it's just at first it's like, okay, you see these things. And I felt like, as I'm speaking, I'm like, I felt like... That was kind of like Wendy's journey. Like what I'm describing as a reader, it's like, okay, you know, these things exist. Maybe they're not the best, but in all in all, like the day-to-day stuff is fine. Like people aren't racist. People are getting along well. Why stir the pot? But then throughout the book, it's revealed like Callie admits to Kenny. She's like, at one point she's like, you know, and even in that admittance, she's like, Maddie has light skin privilege. She should admit that. Cause it's like, you know, as a black Mm -hmm. person, if you encounter someone who is black or mixed with black and you find out they've been lying about being white and they're actually, you know, have black heritage. You look at them like, okay, so you rejected me. Like, why would I want to have anything to do with you as a black person? Mm -hmm. Right. You're like, all right, well, forget you. You don't want to be associated with me. So why should I care about you? But we know the situation with Maddie. She really didn't have a choice and she's highly traumatized and abused and all of that stuff and just really doesn't know. 
And but Callie is like, well, if she acknowledges her light skin privilege. So that is a whole other nuance that I think if you're not part of the community, you may not know about. And Kenny was alerted to that. And he was like, "Okay, maybe I did do this. And in that conversation, Callie, Kenny's sister, admitted that to him that she had been bullied, like racially bullied, like she had had stuff thrown in her hair too, like like Maddie had and he didn't know. So it's like. I felt like the perspective that Tiffany Jackson gave was kind of like either a white person who didn't, who doesn't really know, doesn't, didn't really think that it was that bad, like racism Mm -hmm. in general, or just in their general vicinity or whatever, or someone like Kenny who is black or of color and they know racism exists and stuff, but a lot of times they turn a blind eye to it because they don't want to deal with it because it's uncomfortable. Because if they deal with it, then they're going to have to start unfriending a lot of their friends and then they're going to mm-hmm. have to look at themselves more. So I, I appreciate because I was like, that's what I felt going through. I was like, hmm, I know this place is racist. I already know. It's like we're in Georgia. We're, and not to talk mess about Georgia. I was born in Georgia. So I know what I'm talking about. We're in Georgia. They still have a segregated prom, which mm-hmm. existed very recently. And I believe Tiffany Jackson put a note in there. And it's like, but I'm not hearing like the real racism yet. I'm like, I know it's there. It has to be because that segregated prom is telling me that it is. But then it's like, it gets revealed and it shows how terrible things are and stuff like that. Yeah. So I, like I said, I don't know if that was intentional, but I felt it and it feels real to me. So I'm going to say that it was, and I want to hear your more of your thoughts on that and other things in the book that you thought were just really interesting. Um, After we come back from hearing from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him. Unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. The cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? 
Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong got it going on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so yeah. (laughs) (laughs) To to continue. To continue on that note. I feel like, you know, one thing that a lot of people like to do, and I mean, like, I think this is kind of human nature, Mm. is we we hear about things that happened in the past and there's this impulse to kind of like put it into this box of like, this happened in the past and it doesn't affect us today or it was so long ago. Like why should it matter as much? And what, you know, Tiffany Jackson shows in this book is that like, no, the past really was not that long ago. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it was only just a couple of weeks ago that I was reading an article in, I think, the New York Times or something that said the last person who was the child of enslaved people mm-hmm. just died. Like, mm-hmm. slavery ended almost 160 years ago. And, and like, but, like, that person was living up until this year. Yeah. So, and living with, like, a real traumatic, you know, legacy and there are a lot of horrible things that have continued to happen mm-hmm. um, since then. And, and like, it's not that long ago. It really yeah. isn't. And we definitely see that in this book because I admit when I first read the description of this book, I was like, segregated proms. What, what time period is this? Is this, is this historical fiction? Like, no, yeah. it's not historical fiction. It's, it's contemporary. Yeah. And I think especially because like I work with teens and I sometimes just get the feeling that they're like, Oh, that was in the past. And it's like, Oh, well, no, it's, it's still here. It's because they're, they're taught. Like you said, like people try to say it's in the past because they don't want to deal with the ugly truth of it when it's like, yeah, okay. It's in the past. But at the point you just made, if the last descendant of enslaved people just died, so that means like the enslavers, the chil- their children were <laughs> were also alive all this time. And they passed yeah. down that the type of person to enslave someone that has been passed down and perpetuated all this. It's been perpetuated all this time. Exactly. So to your point, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to say too, that when I was reading it at certain points, Going in, I was like, oh, I remember it was a contemporary. But then at a certain point, I was like, wait, did I miss something? Is What year is this? Even with, yeah. like, apart from the segregated prom stuff, I'm like, wait, what's going on here? Yeah, it's set in 2014, like the mm-hmm. action. of the, And then, like, the podcast takes place a few years later. But, like, yeah. it's definitely a, um, a book where the events are supposed to happen within the last 10 years. And I, I think what struck me too is having grown up in small towns and then also how now like living in a small town and working in an even smaller town. I just saw how realistic everything felt yeah. like, no, like my, you know, the schools that I, you know, work in right now and, and live around don't have segregated proms or we don't have the exact sort of issues that this place does, but one chapter and in interlude that really like stuck out to me is like wow like 
this was really well written and really realistic and really uncomfortably so Mm. is towards the end of the book it's prom night there's protests things are heating up you have the two segregated proms that because like yeah spoiler alert they decide to hold an integrated prom but of course not everybody goes along with it so there still are two different proms that happen and the absurd thing about it is like they happen literally across the railroad tracks from each other like mere yards away and it's just absurd you know but it's like the type of absurdity that i could totally see happening in a small town and so as things are heating up and things are getting tense the sheriff is you know making his rounds to just kind of make sure that his deputies are like you know not gonna get themselves in trouble basically Mm. and there are students that are protesting like and look so these are kids these are people under the age of 18 the only adult they have with them is their teacher and she's there to make sure that the police don't mess with her kids and the sheriff is thinking like, oh, you know, my deputies wanted to show up in riot gear because, of course, he doesn't come out and say, oh, my deputies are like the type of people who would storm the Capitol. But his deputies are totally ah! the type of people that would storm the Capitol. <laughs> yes, I went there. Yes. So true, yeah. though. Yeah. But like, you know, that's what they're thinking because they're like, we need riot gear. And he's in the the sheriff. And I'm not painting up the sheriff out to be like a great person or anything. No. But yeah. he's like no, you don't need riot gear. Like these are kids. And also this is my small town and I don't care how heated things get. Like you're not going to lay hands on our, our neighbors basically. And so he, he has, I think a very deluded sense of, the the town he lives in because he's this white guy in power who's just like well there might be racially charged protests happening elsewhere and yeah there might be a little bit of unfairness in our town but like we're all neighbors so we're all just gonna get along and it's like my dude no that's not how it's gonna happen like you're you're one deputy that you hired because he got dismissed for you know nefarious and nebulous reasons but you hired anyway because you were desperate for somebody to hire like he's out for blood. So, yeah. and you're just going to walk away and leave him? Like what the hell? So, yeah, yeah it, it it's um I thought that that was like an uncomfortable chapter to read, but at the same time as I was reading it, I was like this is the exact mentality that permeates a lot of the small towns that I have had firsthand yeah. experience with. And that's what makes it so scarily realistic. Yeah, it was so and it's like scarily realistic on that note. It's like when you're reading the parts from like racist people, like from their perspective, it's so uncomfortable. It's so scary. And it's like, because I think it's, it's true. It's accurate. And she, mm-hmm. the author just like really got into their heads. And it's like, yeah. that's a good example the sheriff was a good example. Jules, Jules was the oh. like prime. Oh, I heard you. I, I heard do, you like moan, like groan, like God, she was awful. I do have to say the one good chapter. I mean, and I say good like in quotation marks. Like the one nice chapter where I was like, oh, that did not go the way I expected it mm. to go, and I'm mm. delighted by it. Is um, so Jules does something very horrible. She's a horrible person. Yeah. Cannot take responsibility for her actions. She shows up to a school event in blackface, which. I feel like even if you are not like the most socially conscious and aware person, like we as a society understand, I would hope that that's wrong. But of course, there are a lot of people who still do it. So maybe not. But she does it. And it is like the 
the straw that breaks the camel's back for this school district. Cause even though like all of the school board members are white and everybody's like deeply racist, like they recognize that once that goes viral, like, Oh no, we can't have this. And so she gets dragged into the principal's office and her father's very powerful. And she thinks that her father's going to eviscerate the principal and like, that's Mm going to be the end of it. And she can just smugly walk off into the sunset. Mm -hmm. And instead she gets taken down so hard. It's a lovely scene. That was so great. That yeah. was so great. And I like to, on that note, it's like she t- was comfortable doing that because it's happened before. Mm-hmm. And she's so comfortable. It's like, it's like, it's 2014. Why is blackface even? That's like from, that's like from the early 1900s, mm-hmm. like a hundred years ago. Why is that on the mind of a 15 year old girl who will, or 16, 17, 18, whatever, however old she is? It's like, why is that on? Why is that the thing that comes to her mind? And it's also like a lot of times when people do that in real life, they'll be like, oh, it's just a joke or, oh, black people can dress in white, like all, whatever. And it's like the reason that you're doing it is because, you know, it's offensive because otherwise you wouldn't be doing that. So that so it's kind of just like a circular argument or whatever. I don't know if that's even the right term, but it's like she was comfortable doing that because there she's so comfortable with racism and saying racist things. And so that didn't that seemed like a thing that she thought she could get away with in 2014. And it's interesting because that town has the environment that supported her getting away with it Mm -hmm. because it's been doing stuff like that. that, Again, that's why she was comfortable. But the gag was like with smartphones and everything and social media and people being called out for their bad behavior. The town had a problem, not with her doing it, but just with it being labeled racist. Yes. And that's something that always like kind of makes me like home racist. It's like, they will do every single thing to be considered a racist. But if you call them that, I'm like, oh God, why, yeah. why do you, why are you bothered being called that? You literally like hate everyone. Else. <laughs> I'm just like, why? So like, that's the straw. That's where you like, you don't, you just don't want to be called a racist. That's, and that's so accurate. And like my personal experience of like, you know, I'm white mm. interacting with people who are white, who think that like they can say shit and get away with it. And or like, oh, I'm going to say this thing, but like, oh, that doesn't make me a racist. And it's like, well, why do you feel the need to, you know, jump to saying that? Yeah. And there's another really good scene in this book where um, the teacher, Mrs. Morgan, she is challenging some white students for their racist thoughts and behaviors. And she's very careful not to call them racist. And they're like, you you calling us racist. And she's like, no, I didn't call you racist, but I did say that the things that you do and the things that you say and believe are steeped in a historic tradition of racism. And like they, even that they're just like, Oh no, like she thinks we're racist. We can't like that. That's what they're offended by. Yeah. Like, challenging their viewpoints or looking at their traditions or any of that i never got that i still don't understand like it's like why is the label the label is what bothers you i mean evolving to this day erica when i am going around my small town i do see instances of racism and i'm very careful when talking to white Mm. people about it to not immediately call them racist or 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 label them as such because i have 
because they will shut down and then yeah. we can't have a productive conversation. Yeah. And so it's more like a, Hey, have we thought about how this might look or have we thought about like the perception or have we thought about like what tradition this is steeped in? Mm. Cause you almost have to like lead them to that conclusion. Like themselves because yeah. then they'll look, Oh my goodness, I don't want to be seen as racist. And then they'll actually change it. But if you accuse them, it's a lot easier to like shut down the accusation. Yeah. And that was like a hard lesson, I think, for myself personally, for yeah. me to learn. Cause I I was, you know, you get to a certain point where you just want to be like, oh, I'm gonna call it out. But if you call it out and then like nothing changes because you get caught in the straw man argument of like what constitutes racism, like yeah. then that nothing ever changes. So on one hand, it's like hard to like lead them to that perspective. But on the other hand, it's like, do you want things to change or do you yeah. just have an argument? So I thought that part of the book was very realistic. I think you bring up a, an interesting like cultural difference. Because I'm just like, as I described before, Callie, Kinney's sister, who is like, you know, like an activist, very socially conscious and stuff like that, advocating for black people in the town and stuff like that, um, speaking out against racism, et cetera, et cetera. I noticed like with black people, uh, the culture, obviously people are different. We're not a monolith. But like black American culture is such that it's like you see something and if you feel like you have an opinion on it, you say it plainly, like, mm-hmm. like if someone says, oh, something, something, if someone says something racist, you can be like, that's racist. Now I can explain it or you can accept that you, what you said was racist or I could, I could break it down for you, but I'm going to tell you right now that's racist or that's sexist or that's homophobic, whatever. And it's interesting because I never really thought about it like this, but I feel, I feel, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like white American culture is more passive. Like you Mm -hmm. don't state things directly. It's like, you can talk about issues, but sometimes it's more indirect. Just at least on this issue, I'm I'm just this is coming to me now as you're as you were speaking. Because I'm like maybe that's like a one source of disconnect, not the only one, and not the maybe not the most important one. But I feel like yeah. I feel like I've I've seen that too, just in my conversations, like with pointing out racist things, like black people. Like I remember one conversation in particular. This is around. This was like Kaepernick. This was a minute ago, a couple of years ago, but it was a white guy and it was me and another black girl. And she was like, no, he's da 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 da. People are treating him like this and that. And the white guy was like, no, blah, blah, blah. I was like, girl, I got this. Watch this. <laughs> I was like, wait, pause. I'm going to get him with logic. And um, I was like, oh, so X, Y, Z equals Z, B, whatever. And he was like, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you kind of have to like go around speaking about it directly and yeah. like logically be like, oh, so if this is true, then this is true. Do you agree? Yes. Okay. And then move on to your next point and then be like, oh, A plus B equals C. And they're like, oh, Ooh, he agreed yeah. with me. It's funny in that instance, he agreed with me, but then he realized what he was agreeing to. And then he like changed back to his, he was like, oh, well, I, I just don't agree with that. I'm like, you just agreed. You just don't want to admit it but that's a whole different conversation but yes i that is such a good observation the small town thing i'm just like i need to find out about tiffany jackson i'm like where did she grow up because so much of this stuff was i lived in a small town for a second i didn't like it um (laughs) it's a small town (laughs) in the south so that's not a surprise um but it was so true even like, again, the nuances, you have the nuances of Kenny, who is a black kid who doesn't want to talk about racism for various reasons. And I will say to the, to Kenny's point, 
as a black person, it can be annoying when you have other black people ignoring instances of racism. But on the other hand, it's like, is it our responsibility to call that out? I understand like Mm -hmm. not wanting to deal with that all the time. Sometimes you just want to live. You just want to explore your interests. You just want to hang out with your friends as a black person, should you or a non-white person, whatever, have to explain racism to people all the time. It's exhausting. Yeah. So I get that. Callie. Callie is an activist and she has her own things going on. And then even Miss Morgan. Miss Morgan got called out a little bit. Yes. That was actually that was a good good point. And there's a there's a good line in there too where like, you know, you see Mrs. Morgan's right at some points. You see where she's kind of trying to be like that white savior and um, but she does also have some good points at times too because she kind of calls Kenny out on one point and he pushes back but then later it's like there's something about you know when a white woman tells a black guy something even if she's a little bit right it's always going to rub him the wrong way and it's like yeah so everybody here in this book some of them are a bit wrong some of them are a bit right there's like no there's no true like clear hero or clear villain except for except for jules she's separate jules she's just awful (laughs) she's just terrible jules and her cronies she's a she's definitely a pure villain yeah but like a lot of the other characters do kind of fall on this like spectrum of like complicated characters and i just like looked at the back of my copy and it says Mm. that um tiffany jackson's a native of brooklyn which obviously is not a small town brooklyn okay yo she got the small town thing down i feel she did she did it so well and that was just like really impressive i think but yeah this book it has so many interesting layers it's good and i to your point i know we're coming up to time but to your point of like the complex characterization i've seen like online discussions of people talking about like i don't know like kids it's very minute and very specific, but like how, like say Disney, for instance, Disney is, has this thing where like when some of their movies, the, the villains are more likable. Mm-hmm. They're not so like, oh, evil, like twirling their mustache, evil type of villain. And some people are like, oh, why they gotta make, it's woke and why they gotta make it like that and da, 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 da. And I'm like, because real bad people in real life, they're not bad all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, why not teach kids that? Because I feel like, I don't know, I feel like that has been damaging in a way, like just showing like, oh, you're either always good and you're pretty and you're this and that, or you're ugly and you're bad. You know, just like that typical like um, presentation or representation of villainy and evil, whatever. It's not always, they're like all bad people, they have good moments and vice versa. It's more so like the gravity of the bad thing that you're doing and how often you do it. Do you have no empathy for other living things? You know what I mean? So I'm just like, I appreciate, I like that she gave us full-fledged complex characters. Like, yes, Wendy kind of had like a redemption arc in a way, but she was still racist. Mm-hmm. at the beginning and she really is the person who set in motion everything to happen yes, all the she yes, and she, she does was. kind of admit it at the end where she's like if i could go back and change things like yeah. oh i definitely would not have been pushing for this integrated prom which yeah. she did not because she really believed that 
the town needed to have like restorative justice and, and healing. She did it because she was like, oh, it will look good. And maybe somebody will give me a scholarship for it. Exactly. So it's like, again, it's like, yeah, you're doing this thing that could be seen by outsiders as good, but your motivations are steeped in self-interest. And still maybe even a little racism because she, she, there was a part when Kenny was like, oh, so you're going to pit me out to make you look good? And she was like, oh, 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 like exasperated, like gagging. I'm no. like, yeah, though, actually. Side note too, I felt like Kenny, like I understood that Kenny felt like he could be himself with Maddie, but I also kind of feel like his like sudden like infatuation was like partially her magic. Do you think that like, what do you think Ooh, about that? Interesting. No, I guess I didn't read it like that necessarily. Like she put a spell on him. But more like maybe once she started like accepting her power, like people started to like see her for who she was. I don't know. Yes, it was more like that. Like, I don't think she intentionally did it like, like, oh, I'm going to make him fall in love with me because she still was like very mousy and like, ooh, like squeak, like scared and everything. But mm-hmm. I kind of feel like because there were times when I felt like I think like the tendrils of her magic, you know, like at certain times, like the tendrils of her magic would like reach out or whatever. Yeah, and she could like feel would- certain things. I felt like something like that had happened where it's like, like her magic kind of reached out because she liked him and he was being very nice to her. Yeah. He would sense her or just show up at her house and, and they would kind of have that connection. Yeah, like when he showed up to her house, I felt, I was like, oh, he's kind of like under a spell or something. Cause that was kind of like, a little much, I felt. And then at, when they were at prom, he was like, oh my God, just everything. And I must protect her. Because like, I think some of it would come naturally from him being like a, like a good dude or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think some of that was that. But some of it seemed kind of intense. And I felt like, like him showing up at her house. And him, there was one point where she got out of the car and he was like smelling where she was. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. And he was like, oh, stop being weird. Like, yeah, he was like, oh, wait, that's weird. And I was like, Kenny doesn't seem like the type of person to sniff people when they leave. And I was like, <laughs> I feel like that's magic. Like, she's not doing it on purpose. It's just a natural draw because she is magical. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. That's that's an interesting point. I didn't think about that. But yeah, he, I, I mean, it's interesting because like, every, you know, Maddie's on the cover of the book and she's kind of like, the the crux of this entire book but i did feel like kenny was kind of like kenny and wendy were like the other sort of protagonists of the story and you know wendy's definitely a complicated person who um is not 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 necessarily a a heroine Mm. and and kenny is probably the one that changes the most throughout the book yeah yeah wendy changes too but she doesn't change as much yeah it's more subtle yeah so yeah, I just I really I think this is a book that's gonna stick with me for a long time. Yes. Yeah, same. And if you've stuck with us this far and you still haven't read the ending, um, just know that like the ending, I won't say exactly what happens, mm. but I think it does a good job of kind of subverting your expectations if you've read Carrie and are yeah. expecting an ending like that. Yeah. I should say I have a question. I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, how, well, you might have answered it actually already. So how do you feel about, because this, this story has a very like a revenge overtone. I was going to say undertone. Like, what do you think of the revenge aspect of it? 
I mean, as a reader, mm. I love a good revenge story. Same. Because I think it satisfies, like, that sort of instinct or desire that, like, a lot of us have for revenge. Because, mm-hmm. like, how, I mean, let's just be honest. How many of us can say that we haven't, like, ever in the dead of night laid in bed and imagined <laughs> a revenge scenario for the people who have wronged you? And yes. even if it's not, like... I want to murder people who've literally bullied me. You think yeah. like, I always want somebody who's wronged you to like, kind of get like their own yeah. sense of justice or like get theirs or like, yeah. you know, I don't think I've ever graphically imagined anybody's death, but I no, have sometimes same. thought like, Oh, if that person could just like be humiliated or embarrassed, you know, yeah. something bad could happen to them. Like, yeah. I don't like want their dog to die or anything, yeah. but like maybe something could just like not go their way. Exactly. So I do appreciate like revenge stories in that sense. This one is definitely a pretty extreme revenge story. (laughs) It is. But what I think is interesting and kind of like also plays into the whole like theme of this episode, which is everybody is complicated and, um, you know, everybody's a bit racist as well. There, there are innocent people who are caught up in this who we don't know anything about and who might have never personally done anything to Maddie or who just might have been like in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. And like they die. But like also at the end of the story, you find out that freaking Jules survives and you're like why her out of all the people and and like obviously she survives and she's not the same because she loses her entire arm yeah but I also feel like you know Tiffany Jackson gave us a revenge story but she gave us a realistic revenge story and that like yeah sometimes the worst villains do survive and that really sucks and sometimes innocent people who didn't have anything to do with it also die and that really sucks yeah so that it felt realistic to me in that sense it felt realistic as far as a um a magic a magical girl story could feel right (laughs) you know like she could like a telekinetic girl pyrokinetic telekinetic all of those kinetics as far as a story like that could feel realistic, Tiffany Jackson made this one feel very realistic. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. So, yeah, what a ride. <laughs> what a ride the way yes. of blood was. And what Ooh. a great title, too, by the way. So great. Great cover. Ooh. Oh, yeah. All of it. All of it. All of it. So if you uh, haven't caught on now, we highly recommend this book. Yes, very much so. Please read it. Yeah, and if you haven't read White Smoke, I also recommend that. Honestly, I have not disliked any of Tiffany Jackson's books. I have really enjoyed them all. So she's definitely a solid choice for anything, um, any book that you might want to pick up. But yeah, this this is good. I'm so glad that we decided to do a little buddy read for this one. Yes. I forgot whose idea it was, but if it was yours, great idea. I think it was yours. I don't remember. We'll both like be like, yes, we both wanted to read this book. So that's, that's kind of like, that's, that's basically the criteria that we pick when we're like, oh, we should do another buddy read. Like what book is coming out this season that we both want to read? And then we yeah. just both get to read it. It's awesome. Basically. Yep. So yeah. Well, I know this was like an episode where we covered a lot of ground mm-hmm. and a lot of heavy stuff, mm-hmm. but yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I think we could keep talking about this, but unfortunately, we are running out of time. 
So um, please, please do feel free to leave us feedback on the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify because it helps us know how we're doing it. That's others find us. But then you can also always email us too at heyya@bookriot.com. We love hearing from you. Don't forget to visit bookriot.com for newsletters, more podcasts, and all things bookish. Thank you again to today's sponsors for helping make the show possible and Tiffany Jackson for writing an awesome book that we talked about. Seriously. <laughs> Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. Um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I hang out at, at Tears of Price. How about you, Erica? I'm on Twitter for now. We'll see how it goes. I am right. at Erica underscore easy E underscore. Awesome. Well, we will come back and talk at you in another couple of weeks. But until then, happy reading. Happy reading. Happy reading.